0: Welcome back to the program. If we want to understand why things happen, we need only look at Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz. Events, coincidences, and sometimes serendipitous good fortune happens. Later, we think that it's the result of a great and powerful force pulling the ropes and levers. Only we discover, A, events happen on their own, and B, it's only a dream driven by our penchant to find order and connection. For many of us, these things happen all the time. Thinking about an old friend who suddenly shows up, or a near miss of an accident that feels like an invisible hand or finding something from the distant past at precisely the moment we need it. All of these are examples of the improbability principle and now we have a new and clearer understanding of this as a result of the work of my guest David Hand. David Hand is an Emeritus Professor of Mathematics and Senior Research Investigator at Imperial College London. He's a former President of the Royal Statistical Society and the Chief Science Advisor to Winton Capital Management, it is my pleasure to welcome David J. Hand here to talk about the improbability principle, why coincidences, miracles, and rare events happen every day. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be on the program. It's great to have you here. In fact, many of these things that happen that we put in the category of coincidences or miracles or any of those phrases, in fact, are not any of those things. They're the normal events that happen in the course of, of anybody's life in this world. I, I think that's exactly right.
1: If you take the, the big picture, there's so much going on in the world, you would expect some of these apparently rare events to occur. And that, in fact, is, is one of the one of the laws of the improbability principle it's composed of five laws it's sort of analogous to the four laws of thermodynamics for instance so it's composed of five laws and one of them the law of truly large numbers basically says if you take enough opportunities you expect extraordinary things to happen and that that's exactly the point here there's so much going on in the world you would expect extreme apparently extremely rare events to occur
0: And part of it is the way in which these rare events get reported or passed along, whether it's big news events or something that goes into social networks. The fact is we are more aware of these kinds of events today than we have at any other time.
1: You've put your finger right on it. That's exactly right. First, when one of these extraordinary events occurs, like somebody winning the lottery twice or something like that, first we notice it and we tell everybody about it. And then second... The world is so interconnected now that the the telling of it really diffuses out across the world, and everybody hears of it.
0: To what extent does our own bias, our own desire to hear certain things or block out certain things, a kind of confirmation bias, to what extent does that play a role in this?
1: Oh, I think that plays a, a big role as well. I mean, there's so much going on that we don't notice that when one of these things occurs, we think, we 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 exaggerate it uh, to, to some extent, and so I think the confirmation bias plays plays a huge role. We 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 look for things which support what we our our beliefs or our theories, and we tend to ignore uh, uh, evidence against them. Yeah,
0: talk a little bit about when some of those personal things happen. That, that suddenly a friend, for example, that you haven't seen or talked to for many years. You, you wake up one morning or you're driving along and you think about them, and then the next day you get an email from them or some contact. Talk about that.
1: Okay. There are so many people in the world getting emails, um, you would expect some of these sorts of things to happen. And when they do happen, you notice them. there's, there's, there's a, an, an example in my book of me getting two consecutive emails. Um, one was had the word, had the name Muir, M-U-I-R, in the subject matter uh, in a subject, uh, um, uh, entry. And the second one had the word, uh, M I U R. And I assumed it was a misprint, a typo for the first one, but in fact, it was just a coincidence. The second one was, uh, an Italian research organization contacting me. It was just a coincidence that they'd come together, but I noticed it because they were so similar. I can give you many examples of this and, and you notice them. So for instance, in 2012 i went to the royal statistical society conference and i went to the hotel to check in and i said my name's david hand and the receptionist said but you've already checked in and i said no i haven't i've only just got here um and she said ah yes i see there are two david hands with us this week um and then she said which one are you and i had to work out which one i was but the but I noticed that and she noticed it because the names were, were were the same and this must happen a lot around the world because there are so many hotels so many people checking into them there aren't that many David Hans there are about 400 I think in the, in the, in the US um, but if you take other people with more common names and so on you're bound to get this sort of thing occurring and then people notice it and that's the sort of thing we were talking about before uh, the human brain comes into a, a effect and ignores it doesn't take account of the many millions of other possible pairs of names which could have come up.
0: The other thing that we do, along with that kind of confirmation bias, is that we look for meaning in these things. One of these incidents <laughs> happen, and we look to try and figure out what this coincidence means, which oftentimes leads us to other coincidences.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, they, they, some of these coincidences look very eerie, and you think... Uh, <laughs> Um, We we naturally search for causality in the world around us. I think humans have a difficult time contending with uncertainty. We like to know what causes what so that we have some idea that we're controlling our our lives. You know, and obviously, to some extent, we are controlling our lives. But then there are these random events um, which we find difficult to cope with.
0: Talk a little bit about some of the other laws that are at play here. We touched on the law of truly large numbers. Yeah. Okay,
1: so... Perhaps the simplest of the laws is is the law of inevitability. This basically says that some outcome must occur. So if I'm flipping a coin, it's got to come up heads or tails. That's pretty sort of elementary and obvious. But but, um, here's a more subtle use of the law of inevitability. If you bought every ticket in a lottery, you could guarantee holding the jackpot winning ticket. Now, in fact, people have taken advantage of that. What they do is Wait until the lottery has rolled over, the jackpot has rolled over to make it worthwhile buying all of the millions of tickets for that particular lottery. Because you'll know that you're then holding a jackpot ticket, which will win more than the uh, millions of pounds or dollars you've spent. There are there are. And, and in fact, people have done this. They put together a consortia to do this. Um, there are difficulties with it. The pure logistics is difficult because, you know, between one law of the one one draw of the lottery and the next one, you might have to buy seven million or 14 million or whatever tickets that takes some organizing. Secondly, you might not be the only one winning holding the jackpot okay. ticket. So you may only get a, a fraction of the jackpot. And if you're unlucky, the fra- fraction will be less than you've spent. Uh, So there are various sort of difficulties, but it's a use of the law of inevitability, which basically says that something must happen. One of the possible outcomes is guaranteed to occur. Then there's um, the law of selection. The law of selection basically says you can make things as likely as you want if you choose after the event. Let me give you one of my favorite little examples of this. This is um, from when when I was very young, I was um, intrigued by the fact that you could get jars of whole walnuts. Uh, somehow the manufacturers could crack the shells of walnuts and extract the thing whole. When I tried to do it, I'd end up with bits of nut and shell all over the floor. Maybe one out of ten times I'd manage to extract a whole nut. But they seemed to be able to do it all the time. When I got older, I discovered that they were only a little bit better than me. What happened was that they would crack the nut, and when they got lucky and the whole nut came out, they'd put it into their jar, and after, when the jar was full, they'd stick a label on it saying whole walnuts. They'd put the other bits of broken walnut in a jar labeled walnut pieces. And I'd only see the jars labeled whole walnuts. So it looked as if they'd, um, they had a process that they were able with probability one uh, to extract whole walnuts. But this is because they'd chosen after the event. They'd selected their data. They'd selected their results after things had happened.
0: One of the things that in a way reinforces the mathematical reality of what we've been talking about is the fact that when you talk to people about these things, so many people have had this happen, that in fact, it's pretty commonplace in a large framework. And the fact that the commonality of it, the fact that it happens so frequently, should tell us something about it as well.
1: I I, I think that's right. I mean, the, the trouble is that people, when these things happen to them, they do what you were talking about before they do sit up uh, and pay attention and take notice and say you know how extraordinary that I should find somebody else with the same name as me in the hotel or, or something like that um, so it's a it's a mix of these fundamental laws of probability which says which say if you 've got enough opportunities, it will happen if you select after the event, you can make the probability appear as large as you like uh, and the and the other laws um, It's a mix of that and the way the the human brain perceives and interacts with the world.
0: One of the great stories you tell, of course, is the story about the actor Anthony Hopkins and (laughs) finding this book, this copy of a book on a subway train.
1: Okay, and there's a sequel to that story, which I I will tell you as well. So um, Anthony Hopkins was going to star in a film of the book The Girl from Petrovka by George Pfeiffer. And so Hopkins went to London to buy a copy of the book to, to read up, read it up. But he couldn't find one in any of the bookstores. And he was waiting for a tube train to go home after his failed trip. And he saw a book on the seat next to him. He picked it up and it was a copy of The Girl from Petrovka, the very book he'd been looking for. He, he opened the book and found that it was annotated, uh, annotated changing the um, british words to american labor spelt o-u-r to the labor spelt o-r and so on and then later when he met the author george pfeiffer he showed him the book and george pfeiffer said this is the, this is the copy i used to have i was annotating it on a trip to london and i gave it to a friend who lost it and somehow that book had traveled he lost it on the tube a different part of london an entirely different part of london somehow it had traveled through time and space back to george pfeiffer the corollary to that story is that um after my book appeared i gave a a, a talk on on npr about it Uh, this was just a few weeks ago george pfeiffer emailed the author emailed me to say that's exactly what had happened that's exactly the story uh, how it had panned out and he offered to swap that copy of the book for a copy of my book
0: (laughs) (laughs) one of the really interesting aspects of this is that some of the things are a result of, of what we get wrong, that we just go into this with the wrong assumptions to begin with, and it leads us to wrong conclusions about all of this.
1: Oh, I think that's very nicely put. Yeah, that's exactly right. We we don't have, I mean, that's certainly true for for, for gambling, for instance, but I think it is also true more generally. I mean, a, a nice little example of this in gambling is what's called the gambler's fallacy, where There's this belief that, for instance, if a coin comes up 10 heads in a row, then it's more likely to come up tails next time. Because, as we all know, about half the time the coin will come up heads or tails. And if it's come up lots of heads, surely it then needs to come up tails to compensate. So it's more likely to come up tails. That's, in fact, wrong. Um, And I can demonstrate why it's wrong very simply. Um, If it were right, then I could take a coin and I could flip it until it had come up 10 or 20, say, heads in a row. If I keep going long enough, the law of truly large numbers says it will come up 20 heads in a row eventually. So I'll do that, and it will come up 20 heads in a row. Then I'll stop. I'll put the coin in my pocket, and then I'll, next time I meet somebody, I'll say, I'll bet you that this coin will come up tails next time. And if the gambler's fallacy were true, it would be much more likely to come up tails. And I can make a lot of money in that way. But of course, it's wrong. The coin is just as likely to come up heads the next time as tails. What is this issue
0: of the probability lever? Explain that.
1: Ah, uh, yes, another another of the laws of the principle. This is that slight changes can make highly improbable events almost certain. And what will they be? Slight changes in your understanding of the world, your model of the world, the way you think about the world. And, and a classic example of this occurs in finance, where according to the simple models that are used and uh, before i say any further i should say that financial mathematicians understand what's going on here but nevertheless according to the simple models which are used we see things like uh, financial crashes which should only occur once in a billion years or once in 20 billion years and yet we see them happening and in fact um a couple of authors, Reinhardt and Rogoff, have written a, a whole book about financial crashes, showing that they occur with, um, a pretty, on a pretty regular sort of basis. Now, that shouldn't happen according to the model which says, you know, there's a probability of this is incredibly low, should only happen once every 20 billion years. And the reason it happens is because the model is wrong. That once every 20 billion years is wrong. The probability is much higher than that. So it's a question of perceptions, understanding models of the world. You think it's very unlikely, but if you correct your model, adjust your model, you can make vast changes to the probability. You can change it from once every 20 billion years to once every 20 years.
0: And is this essentially the idea behind the notion of black swans, essentially, as they impact changes that might take place?
1: It's certainly one of the notions behind that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think... um, uh, Black Swan says you can't predict these things, and, and and I'm saying, well, you know, I can't tell you exactly what will happen or when, but I'm saying you, you should expect these things to happen. If you don't expect them to happen, if you think they're going to happen once every 20 billion years, and yet they do happen, then your model of the world is wrong.
0: What role does mathematics play in trying to figure out all of this? Because certainly the eeriness of some of these things, the Anthony Hopkins story, some of the other stories that you tell in the book are much more romantic than the notion of mathematics, but yet mathematics is really at the heart of it in so many ways.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, and that's a very good question. Um, the, the point is, I think, really, that to get to grips with these things, what you need to do is strip away the ambiguity, the uncertainty, the wooliness of the real world. Um, and if you do that, you're left with the mathematics. And so in my book, apart from all the real world examples, I also give examples of lotteries, dice throwing and that sort of thing. That allows me to focus uh, on the mathematics and focus on what's really going on without questions of, are you interpreting something correctly? Does it really mean this or did it really mean that? So the mathematics is at the core
0: one of the points you make is that you start off with the premise that whatever can happen will happen in some way, given a large enough sample.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, that's a bit different from the law of inevitability. The law of inevitability says if you cover all the bases, you're bound to find it. You know, get the, include the outcome. Um, but I, I, okay, whatever will happen whatever can happen will happen is uh, a phrase that some people have used, but I don't think I prefer not to use that myself because I don't think it's quite right. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Zeno's paradox. Zeno's paradox says that if you're trying to get from one point to another and at each uh, step you halve the distance, um, well, you can see that in in principle it will take you an infinite, infinite amount of time. Um, This is the same sort of idea between whatever will happen, sorry, whatever can happen will happen. Um, That's only true if your space of whatever can happen sort of in in some sense includes the opportunity for what will happen. I'm not putting this very well at all, but I I don't really like the whatever um, Mm -hmm. can happen uh, will happen. I don't think that really captures it. But it's certainly true that if you've got a large enough opportunities for something, then that's a, that it's almost certain that that will happen.
0: Talk a little bit about the pushback that you've gotten over the years to these ideas, because there are people that clearly just don't want to believe them. They would much rather believe the romantic story. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, yeah, I think there are two points to that. Um, one is... Um, I don't think that understanding these things takes away the romance. I, I usually describe this in the context of a sort of rainbow. Now, you under, if you understand the physics behind the rainbow, how light is split up and refracted in the raindrops, I don't think that makes looking at a rainbow a rainbow any, any less wonderful. You still look at a rainbow and think, wow. Um, but you know, So, so I, I disagree that understanding something detracts from the romance or the sense of wonder the second thing is that um i some people get uneasy when I, I when um i say that this can explain miracles and things like that but i don't again i don't think that being able to explain these things makes them any less amazing or wonderful
0: to what extent is statistical thinking thinking in these kind of mathematic terms important if not essential in really trying to come to grips with really understanding these ideas?
1: I think, yes, a sort of statistical intuition and statistical thinking is important. One of the problems with this sort of area, and and statistics as a discipline in general, is that people, even statisticians, often don't have a very good intuitive grasp of probability. The gambler's fallacy that I talked about Mm -hmm. earlier is is an example. Uh, People misunderstand probability and it's only when you sit down and actually go through the formal calculations that you can find out what's likely to go on with it's too easy for us to make mistakes and i think you know there are there are sound reasons for that we, we've sort of evolved to recognize patterns to behave in certain ways so that we don't get get eaten by predators and that sort of thing and those heuristic approaches to the way we react to the world may not be may not reflect the true behavior of the world in, in terms of probabilities.
0: You find various ways in which people don't want to believe these things. For example, just take the simplest in sports, the way people want to believe in streaks without really digging yeah. into the probability.
1: Yeah. I mean, streaks do happen, but not in the way. Uh, so I think the the recognition of streaks is, is right and they do happen, but the interpretation put on them is wrong. So that when uh, the interpretation that, people tend to put on them is that if someone uh, scores a goal or whatever it is then they're more likely after that to score one that it changes the probability but that's not the case and indeed if you go back and analyze sporting events you find that the number of streaks is just and and the length of streaks and so on is just what you would expect um, if the events were purely random people underestimate the amount of streakiness in random data. Indeed, if you ask people to generate random numbers, I ask people just to give me a string of digits, one, seven, eight, three, two, five, and so on, then people tend to spread the numbers out too much. They won't have consecutive threes, for instance, as often as as is the case if you actually generate random numbers from a physical random number generator.
0: Is there another aspect that is at play sometimes when you look at Kind of synchronicity between people or individuals in certain situations, things that might be taken as coincidence really have some other explanation
1: I think I think that 's true, and I think that 's probably uh, uh, an aspect of the law of the probability lever. Um, people behave in similar ways. you know I might decide to go to a particular show because it 's something I, uh, about something I'm interested in or enjoy, and I might find. Friends of mine also chose to go to that show. Well, this wouldn't be surprising. It would be because we hadn't randomly chosen to go to this show out of all the possible ones we could have gone to. We'd gone to that one because we had a mutual interest in it. So bumping into a friend there is perhaps not so surprising. In fact, this happened to me just the other day. Um, I, I was at the opera. I was waiting for my wife and a friend walked past. What a coincidence but perhaps not. Perhaps we have a, both have an interest in that sort of thing. So not so surprising.
0: Finally, what's confusing sometimes is the language that we use about this, words like coincidence and miracle, coming, coming full circle to where we started. In fact, the language really dictates oftentimes how we understand these things.
1: It does. I think that's right. Uh, uh, our perceptions, the way we look at the world is to some extent determined by the language we use to describe these things. You're absolutely right, and I would agree, yeah. yeah.
0: David Hand, the book is The Improbability Principle, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us. No, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.